As a way of honoring the gospel, let us stand in body or in spirit. Today's gospel is from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. The disciples were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and on the evening of that same Sunday, they locked themselves in a room. Suddenly, Jesus appeared in the middle of the group. He greeted them and showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they became very happy. After Jesus had greeted them again, he said, I am sending you, just as the Father has sent me. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. But if you don't forgive their sins, they will not be forgiven. Although Thomas the twin was one of the twelve disciples, he wasn't with the others when Jesus appeared to them. So they told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said, First I must see the nail scars in his hands and touch them with my finger. I must put my hand where the spear went into his side. I won't believe unless I do this. A week later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. Jesus came in while the doors were still locked and stood in the middle of the group. He greeted his disciples and said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and have faith. Thomas replied, You are my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, do you have faith because you have seen me? The people who have faith in me without seeing are the ones that are, who are truly blessed. Jesus worked many other miracles for his disciples, and not all of them are written in this book. But these are written so that you will have faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. If you have faith in him, you will have true life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Has anybody reminded you to breathe yet this morning? Uh, we've been doing that naturally, haven't we? But take a deep breath. Go ahead and make noise when you exhale. It's all right. Just don't breathe too heavily on the person's worshiping in front of you. We've been breathing since we came out of our mother's bodies. And nobody's really reminded us how important that is or to do it. From the beginning of time, breath has been important to people of faith. To the Jewish people, the word for breath is the same word for spirit and the same word for wind, ruach. In Genesis, the second creation story, you know there are two different creation stories. The second creation story, this is how God brings life into humanity. In Genesis 2, verses, uh, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed 
man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. In the prophets, we hear God speak through different people about how God is at work in the world. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel and gave a metaphor, a powerful image of a valley of dry bones. Can you picture that in your mind? It's a powerful metaphor. A valley of dry bones. In Ezekiel chapter 37, you can read more about it. I'm just going to read a little bit. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out of this, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were many lying in the valley and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there came a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come on them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. The disciples are locked up. A self-imposed imprisonment because they were afraid of those who were in power at the time. They had just seen those in power kill their Jesus and start talking about coming after all of Jesus' followers. So they were afraid and locked themselves in a room Thank God, locked doors do not stop the risen Christ. The risen Christ comes right through those locked doors, and what is the first thing he says? Peace be with you. In the scripture that Kate read, he says it three times because they don't get it the first time. 
They're too afraid. They can't receive the peace of Christ because they're too afraid. Jesus then does something very significant. In the tradition of the Hebrew texts that we just read, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And if that were not enough, Jesus then says, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to help you do, disciples of Jesus. You now have the power to forgive. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you need that kind of power besides myself? Jesus breathed on the early church and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You now have the power to forgive. In one of the texts, I think in the message, it says, if you forgive someone, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive someone, what are you going to do with that? I.e., it is we who have to hang on to that and carry that heavy baggage around with us. Lewis Smedes, one of the great theologians and Christians of the 20th century, wrote extensively about forgiveness. He said, when we forgive, we set the prisoner free and we discover that the prisoner has been us. Let me say that again. Because sometimes I think we think forgiveness is for the person who has done the offense. Forgiveness is really about setting us free. Jesus gave the early church this power so that we can be free from hanging on to our grudges for too long. We're entitled to our anger, but we can't let it take up squatters' rights in our souls because then we can't be in the flow of God's love. When we, set, when we forgive, we set the prisoner free and we discover that the prisoner is us. I don't know about you, but have you ever been confronted by someone who's very angry? And if we're, well, I'll just speak about me. If I have not done my contemplative sit that day, if I have not spent time in centering prayer, I am not a very good or helpful or faithful respondent to people's anger because either I get defensive or I get aggressive. When we are on our game, when we are in the flow of love, when we are grounded in the humility of following Christ, we can hear people's anger and not respond with anger. We can hear people's anger and realize that underneath the anger is fear. They're afraid of something. And that is a pastoral issue. That is a spiritual issue. There's a lot of anger in our world, is there not? And God has called us as people who are trying to follow Jesus 
to respond with love, to acknowledge that people are afraid. And maybe the better question is not what are you angry about, but what are you afraid of? Let's get to the source, because underneath anger is fear. And Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You now have the power to forgive. Hmm. So let me tell a story that, um, that is not mine. It was told to me and to many by Richard Rohr. After the service today, we're going to show a video of Richard who spoke at Drew University Theological School in October of 2010. Somebody videotaped his, his sermon, and we'll watch just glimpses of that, bits of it. He taught a way of praying that we shared a little bit at our church council meeting. We shared it yesterday at the men's breakfast. It's called the Yahweh Prayer. And it is so profound, it may, it has the potential of changing the way we see prayer. Richard was invited to a conference with scientists and theologians in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This was probably 10 or so years ago. It was a very costly ticket to get into this convention, and someone gifted Richard with this ticket to the conference. A scientist was speaking who also happened to be a Jewish rabbi. And he said, I would like to teach you in this conference of scientists about the word Yahweh. Yahweh is, an, is, is from the Jewish tradition. And in the Jewish tradition, it is important to not say the word of God, to not take the Lord's name in vain. And he said, some of the Protestant church and some of the Catholic church hear that and think that it's supposed to mean to not say, God damn someone, or God damn this, or God... Can I say that in church? He said, it has nothing to do with that. It says, we shouldn't say the name of God because if we do, we'll think we understand God. And if we think we understand God, then we lord it over everybody else. The rabbi scientist said, we cannot say the name of God. All we can do is breathe it. There is an ancient Jewish understanding that the name Yahweh is the sound of breathing. It is the name of God that we breathe. It is the first thing that we say when we are born. And it will be the last thing we say before we die. Richard teaches this prayer wherever he goes. Because it is a way of speaking with God, breathing God's name 
And when we can do that, our minds stop racing. Our minds stop worrying. Our minds are taken from a place of fear. What Henry Nouwen used to call the house of fear, the movement to the house of love. <laughs> That's one of the first things I preached in this church in July of 2013. That God was always calling us from the house of fear to the house of love. The Yahweh prayer may help us do that. It may also help us go to sleep or go back to sleep in the middle of the night. Sometimes I wake up at four in the morning to go to the bathroom. Can we talk about earthy things like that in church? And then if my mind starts racing, I have a very difficult time going back to sleep. Anybody else with me on that? Okay. Try the Yahweh prayer. Try it. Lay in bed and just breathe in the name of God. Yahweh. Yahweh. And do it until you are asleep. And you'll wake up the next morning and say, hey, that thing works. I shared that with Richard a few years ago. I said, you know, Richard, I, I pray that Yahweh prayer when... When I get up and go to the bathroom at four in the morning and come back and I can't go to sleep, he said, I do the same thing. He was speaking at another um, conference on prayer where people of different faith traditions came together. There was a Sufi Muslim there at this conference and he heard Richard teach the Yahweh prayer. He said afterwards, Richard, do you know what Allah means? Richard said, I don't, I probably should. What does it mean? Al is similar to the Spanish. How many of you speak Spanish? The. The something. Al something. When you put a second L on Al, that means the. Not just the. The. Significant the. Allah means the. The breath. Do you see how the Spirit is moving in ancient Judaism, ancient Islam, in recognizing the divinity of breathing in the Spirit of God and out the Spirit of God? Friends, let's just stop right now and breathe the name of God as we enter into a time of prayer. Feel free to speak the name Yahweh. Don't worry about your neighbors overhearing you. They're saying the same thing. Breathe in, Yah. Breathe out, Way. It's the only thing that we can say where our lips don't come together, our teeth don't come together, our tongue is barely functioning. It is openness. Breathing in the name of God, breathing out the name of God. Let us be still and breathe the Yahweh prayer.
ಅಂತಂದರೆ